0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. As we remain standing, let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, would you dwell among us today that we might see the glory, the grace, and the truth of God our Father. Be with us by your Holy Spirit, we pray for the honor and glory of your name. Amen. Please be seated. I have four teenage kids, three at home, one in college, I actually love having teenagers. They're funny, they're honest, they ask good questions, they have interesting, often very odd friends. One of the things that I love about teenagers is that they are people in formation. They're people in formation. They wanna know who they are and why they're here. They long for purpose, meaning, and personal significance. They ask out loud. That question that most adults still struggle with, but are too shy to admit, which is, who am I? Now, that question, it can be loaded with angst, but it's also pregnant with possibility. It is the foundational question that we all must answer if we ever want to live with a sense of purpose. But there is another question that we need to ask. And it's one that comes before that age-old question, who am I? This other question is, what am I? What is a human being after all? We cannot know who we are as individuals until we know what we are as creatures. Are we simply the random byproduct of an extraordinary process of unplanned evolution? Or have we been made by someone for something? Our longing for purpose, search for meaning, and desire to answer this question, who am I, all lead back to the even more fundamental question, what am I? Over the next four weeks, we are going to tackle this question in a series of sermons called, How to Be a Human Being. And in order to do this, I want to be able to tell you a story It's the story of Scripture captured in four acts. Act 1 is the story of creation. Act 2 is the story of the fall or the rebellion of humankind. Act 3 is the story of our redemption through Jesus Christ. And Act 4 is the story of our longed-for new creation. Now, for those of you who have been in Trip Gordon's Foundations class this month, this structure should be familiar to you. In many ways, I'll be building on what Tripp has done, focusing more narrowly on what each act in the story of Scripture tells us about being human. Now, why are we doing this? I want you to know the story that you're part of because I want you to live the life that you have been given to the full. As Jesus says in John 10, he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. I also want to help sharpen your vision. You see, the picture we have of ourselves and of our neighbors, it's too often blurry and indistinct. We're able to discern the general contours of our humanity, but the extraordinary beauty, the profound brokenness, and the eternal reality of who we are, these things can be obscured, leaving us with an incomplete view of ourselves and of those who are around us. So you might think of these next four weeks as a set of lenses that when layered on top of each other, give you 20-20 vision of your, new, of your view of humanity. So we begin this morning with Act 1, creation, as described in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Now, countless books have been written on the creation of humankind and what it means when we are told in Genesis 1:26 that human beings have been created in the image of God. Now, it is not my plan this morning to give you an exhaustive explanation of the imago Dei. What I want to do instead is I want to draw out four observations rooted in Genesis 1 and 2 and reiterated throughout the bible about what it means to be human those aspects that i've chosen to highlight are are not only fundamental for our understanding for understanding our humanity they are also especially obscured in today's world and beg to be clarified so if you're not there already it'll be helpful for you to turn to page one in those red bibles so that you can follow along in our text. Page 1, Genesis 1 and 2. And the first thing I want you to see in these chapters is that human beings are completely dependent on God. We are completely dependent on God. We are not autonomous beings. So the opening line of Scripture is well known to all of us. In the beginning, God. Apart from God, there is absolutely nothing. It is only as God speaks that anything appears. And it's not until the sixth day of creation, having called every other living thing into existence, that God calls forth the first human beings. Let us make man, God says in verse 26. It's so simple, and yet it is so important. Apart from God... There is no such thing as a human being. We did not summon ourselves into existence. We did not arise spontaneously out of the primordial soup. We are creatures, and our existence is entirely dependent on the one who made us. Genesis 2 gives a different and more detailed picture of the creation of humanity in verses 5 and 7 taking a handful of dust from the ground, God formed and fashioned a man. Then, setting his face right up against that of his creature, he breathed life into him, and man became a living creature. So our dependence on God, it's not merely a matter of origins. It extends throughout the entirety of life. Genesis 2-7 refers to the breath of life given to Adam. That breath, it belongs to God and it can be taken back by God at any moment. Psalm 104 speaks of the glory of creation. And near the end of this psalm, the psalmist reflects on the mortality of living things. And he writes this These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. God made each of us as a unique creation, and he monitors our every breath. The average adult will take just shy of 1,200 breaths during this service. And each one of these breaths is a unique unrepeatable conscious gift from God he did not simply set the world running and then step away he gave life and he sustains your life with every single breath now this means that our dependence as creatures on the God who created us it's ongoing absolute moment to moment the goal of humanity, therefore, is not to become independent of God. The goal of humanity is to live in joyful dependence on our creator. If we want to flourish as human beings, we must embrace this dependence on God. Now, of course, we live in a world that says the opposite That if we want to flourish, we must be completely independent of constraint, whether divine or circumstantial. But that's a lie. Act 1 of our story makes it clear that dependence is good news. And here's why. Our dependence on God means that He desires an ongoing relationship with us. He didn't make us for sport. We are not like those little green army men I played with as a child and moved about like pawns in the backyard. God knows you. He cares for your well-being. And he longs for you to rest in him, trust in him, and depend on him. This is not the dependence of a cell phone on its power source. This is the dependence of a child on her father you will never be alone. The God who created all things is with you and wants you to turn to him and depend on him. Others are going to fail you, he will not. You do not have to do this on your own. Our dependence on God, it also means that we are not ultimately responsible for everything. We aren't ultimately responsible for ourselves, for our children, for our loved ones, or the world around us. Now, of course, God does give us great responsibilities, but He is the one who's ultimately in charge. I think so much of the misery that we experience comes from trying to take responsibility for things that rightly belong to God. We worry, we fret, we work ourselves to the bone when what we need Is actively to depend on him last winter I gave a series of talks called why are we so restless and the first of those talks is an extended reflection on our dependence on God I recommend it to you you can find it released as a podcast on our sermon page on the website our dependence on God is good news and if we want to learn how to be human we will need to learn to depend joyfully on him. Second thing that Act 1 tells us about being human is that we have been crowned with glory. We have been crowned with glory. So look, at, look back at verse 26 of chapter 1 again. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Later in the Bible, King David marvels at this reality in Psalm 8. He says to God, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and with honor." So David looks to the stars, he looks to the planets, the sun and the moon, and then he looks at the men and women around him, and he wonders, what's so special about us? But then he remembers that we have been crowned with glory as the image and likeness of God himself. Astronomically speaking, man is infinitesimal. But astronomically speaking, man is the astronomer. The sun may be a nuclear inferno baking us with its heat from 93 million miles away, but the the sun can't see us and it can't study us. It's just a really big fire. We, however, we can study the sun, understand its ways, marvel at its power. And that's because among all of God's creation, only we have been made to bear his image and to share his likeness. In the ancient world, kings were often portrayed as the image of the god that they worshiped. They ruled as their god's representative and shared the glory of that god. But the people didn't. By contrast, in the creation story of Genesis 1, every single human being that inhabits the earth has been made in the image. Of the one true God every single one of us has been crafted to bear the glory of the one who made us and that sets us apart from all the other animals we are glorious so when you look in the mirror what do you see blemishes wrinkles bags under your eyes you may see dashed hopes broken promises anxiety and insecurity now all of these things may be true but they are not the whole truth nor do they tell the essential truth about us that we are glorious creatures when God formed you in your mother's womb he crafted you as a unique expression of his glory and that glory it's given It doesn't have to be earned. It doesn't have to be justified. It doesn't have to be proven. You are beautiful because the God of beauty made you. You've been dignified with the capacity for rational thought and moral reflection. You appreciate physical beauty, good music, fine wine, and great food because God has given you taste and he's given you creativity. You're an astonishing work of art. And as a species, we are the most glorious thing in the entire universe. You are worthy of awe, and you're worthy of admiration because God has made you worthy. This means that the people around you are glorious and worthy of admiration as well. Your annoying brother-in-law, your needy neighbor, your totally insensitive coworker. All are glorious creatures crafted to bear the image of God. And we need this reminder <clears throat> because sometimes we are hard to love and the people around us are hard to love. Now if you have any doubt <clears throat> Any doubt that being human is a glorious thing, then let let me remind you that Jesus didn't doubt it for a moment. He became one of us. In those opening lines of John's gospel, we're told that Jesus was with God at the beginning, speaking the world into being, and that in order to redeem us, he became one of us. And you know what? He's still one of us waiting to return to set all things right. I will talk about this more in the weeks ahead, but for now, I want you to recognize just one thing about the incarnation. When Jesus became a man, he affirmed the glory of our humanity. If becoming a human being was good enough for God, then being human is a pretty good thing. Act one tells us that we are completely dependent on God and that we have been crowned with glory by being made in his image. It also tells us that we have a purpose, and that's our third observation. Let's go back again to Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, it was common practice in the ancient world for a king to place statues of himself in distant parts of his domain as an expression of his authority. Now, as God's image bearers, we actually have a similar role, but it's not just symbolic. God has given us authority for the purpose of stewarding his creation. In Genesis 2, We learn that when God formed Adam, he named him, but every other creature, God invited Adam to name. To name someone or something means observing, identifying, exploring, differentiating, reflecting and understanding. There's a power in naming. There's also a purpose in naming. It creates order. It allows for communication. It enables relationships. And do you remember how God created the cosmos? He spoke it into being. Among all the animals, to whom did he give the gift of language? To us. Animals communicate, but none has the gift of language. Because only we have been empowered to be sub-creators with God. God has made us to be his co-workers in caring for what he's made. So why is this good news? Well, two reasons. First, as a human being, you have unbelievable dignity. God God has made you like himself, and he's invited you into his work. Second, you have a purpose. You're not just glorious. You're not just a pretty face. You have a reason for being here. As you work in stewarding the resources God made, you are doing what you've been made for, whether that means raising children at home, raising crops in a field, or raising capital. You have a purpose. In Act One of a materialist or atheistic story of creation, there is no purpose. It all begins by chance. If that story were true, then we would have no purpose. We would all just be accidents. Thank God that story is false. We have a purpose to steward God's creation and to act as his representatives in exercising dominion. That is an awesome responsibility. Human beings are dependent, glorious, purpose-filled creatures. We are also made for one another. We are made for one another. That's our fourth and final point. And it comes again from Genesis 1, this time at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And we live in strange times. For the first time ever in human history, we have the surgical ability, the chemical know-how, and the moral willingness to alter our bodies in such a way that one can masquerade as either sex. We inhabit a society that is trying its very best to erase the distinction between male and female. I'm not gonna go into the many reasons why this is or what should be done about it. For the purposes of this morning, I simply want to draw your attention to the fact that part of the goodness of God's creation of humankind is that he gives us male and female bodies. Now, not all of us like our bodies. Some people even feel trapped in their bodies. And that is a profound tragedy that emerges out of the fall of humanity that forms act two of our story. We'll talk about that next week. That tragedy, however, it cannot undo the fact that these bodies of ours are good, blessed, And given with a purpose in act one our bodies are a gift from God but they weren't given to us for our own good we were made for each other this is clear in God's command to be fruitful and multiply so God made us as a race for marriage and reproduction and I say that God made us for marriage rather than sex because of the way in which Genesis 2 elaborates on Genesis 1. So at the end of Genesis 2, we're told, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, this is a short description, to be sure. But it's clear and confirmed by the entire witness of Scripture, the proper context, For being fruitful and multiplying is lifelong monogamous marriage between a man and a woman the goal isn't sex or sexual pleasure the goal is the formation of society we are profoundly sexual beings to be sure but we are not primarily sexual beings When we make sexual pleasure our primary reason for being, as we have done in modern Western culture, we engage in idolatry, we undermine our humanity, and we ultimately destroy ourselves and each other as a result. Several times over the last few years, I've given a series of talks with my good friend Sam Ferguson on sexuality and scripture. These talks are called Being Human, And you can find them on the sermon page of our website. I know that many of you have questions about sexuality, about gender dysphoria, about how to love friends and family who are embracing alternative ways of being human. These are really important questions that take time and care to sort through. And I want to direct you to those talks. Listen to them. And if you've heard them before, it may be time to go back and listen once again. I want to return to Genesis 1 and 2, and this idea that we were made for one another. I said a moment ago that in God's good creation, the goal is not sex or sexual pleasure. The goal is the formation of society for the stewarding of creation. God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, exercise dominion. The goal isn't marriage the goal isn't even family the goal is the growth of a people living under the gracious reign of god stewarding his creation the goal if you think about it is the church the people of god now i realize i just jumped into acts 3 and 4 of our story and it's hard to justify what i've said without walking all the way through acts 2 3 and 4 But I'm not going to try that at the moment. Here's what I want you to understand. What I want you to understand is that these relationships right here, they matter so much more than most of us realize. We were made for this fellowship. Yes, many of us were made for marriage and for child rearing, but not all of us. Some of us were made for singleness and for celibacy. What we were all made for is the fellowship of the church. That's how to be a human being. We are not independent creatures. We are happily codependent according to God's creation. Now, I have only scratched the surface, but I need to conclude Act 1 of the story of the world tells us that in order to flourish as human beings, we need to joyfully embrace our dependence on God, recognize our own astonishing glory and that of our neighbors, embrace our purpose as stewards of creation and co-workers with God, living for and with one another. The human story does not begin in ugliness, conflict, or need. It begins in glory, beauty, and wonder. God himself marvels at us when he makes us. When he makes us, he blesses us, and he pronounces that we are very good. That's who you are. That's who your neighbors are as well only when we recognize these things about our humanity are we able to give and receive true love it's the first step in learning how to be a human being let's pray lord god thank you for making us dependent on you for sharing your glory with us giving us your image Thank you for making us with a purpose to steward your creation, and thank you for giving us one another to live together, not just in joyful dependence on you, but in dependence on one another. We thank you for creation. May we remember who we are. Would you show us how to be human beings? For the glory of your name, amen.